We'll take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. We will do that entire chapter here in, in one sermon this morning. I, I want to say um, in the first service last week, I thought we had a medical emergency over here. And I wasn't sure if I would, was supposed to stop because we've had this happen before. But what I realized is somebody's kid had just gone three rows under the seats and uh, they didn't know how to get him back. And all of a sudden I saw mom go down and just, it was awesome. So I say all that to say, I love having kids in the room. All right. Doesn't bother me. I love it. And uh, so I rejoice in the fact that God has allowed us to be a multi-generational church. Amen. And we're a family and I, and I, and I love that. So. Uh, it was October 10th, 2016. I know that date, October 10th, 2016, only because I knew that it was sometime in 2016 and I looked behind my desk in my office at this long row of journals that I've kept and I found the day in which uh, this happened. I was sitting in a Christian counselor's office and the answer is yes, your pastor also needs counseling. And so I was sitting there and uh, I was in the middle of a conversation and the counselor took out this yellow legal pad and he began to just draw something which is a little bit frustrating to me because I was pouring out my heart and he started drawing and he drew a triangle and then he began to write a bunch of words and he showed me something that um, I'd never seen before and introduced me to something that I'd never thought about before he was really charting out the way in which God is inviting us into deeper relationship with him and so at the bottom of the triangle he put master servant because that's our introduction to Jesus. Our introduction to Jesus is that Jesus demands that we trust and follow him. And we believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And reality is we don't even ask a lot of questions. God stirs in our heart and we say, yes, sir, we're ready to follow you. That's what we call lordship. And salvation demands lordship. Salvation demands you trust the Lord with your life. And you say, Lord, uh, I'm submitting myself completely to you. And so we begin our relationship with Jesus with that master-servant relationship. But then he began to kind of move up the triangle and, and right above that was a father-child relationship. That although we always remain in that master-servant, God wants us to know him as a father. Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask. Jesus says, when you pray, pray our father who is in heaven. Paul wanted to make sure we understood the father love of God and our adoption into the family of God, that we are the children of God. But even beyond that, he moves up in the triangle to, to, to being a friend with God. Because Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. A, a slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but a friend knows what his friend is doing. And there's a kind of relationship you have with a friend that you don't have with a father. There's certainly a type of relationship you have with a father you don't have with a, with a master. And then at the very top of the triangle was this passionate love relationship. Might seem strange to you, but that's what Jesus wants from you. He wants a passionate love relationship with you. He is coming after you. He's coming after your heart. He wants deep affections. He wants passion. He wants love. He wants a heart that loves him. And so it is God's desire is to continue to move us into these new relationships. And the goal is that we might know intimacy with Jesus. And it was really through that little chart that my eyes were opened to something I'd really never thought about. And that's that what God wants from us is not just our obedience, he wants our heart. Like God is 
is looking for more than just slaves who will do what he asks him to do or soldiers that will join his army. God is pursuing individual people in relationship and intimacy. He wants them to know him and enjoy him. He is leading us into a passionate love relationship. And can I just say, that's the end game here for me. The end game is that you might fall in love with Jesus. I, I get up here every Sunday morning and I'm fighting against all the demonic forces that you faced every week, all the temptation, all the demonic forces in the heavenly places, all of the cultural war going on, and all I'm trying to do is fight for your love for Jesus Christ. That's it. Like, that's it. All I want from you. And, and I'm telling you, as a pastor, it's easy to get in this habit where I just need you to do a bunch of stuff. I don't need you doing a bunch of stuff. I need you falling in love with Jesus Christ. That's the end game. And let me tell you, if you don't see that, if you don't see that, yes, we always remain in a servant relationship with the Lord. Sometimes he tells us to do something, we just do it. But if you don't understand that he's leading us into deeper relationship towards ultimate intimacy with him, if you don't understand that he wants your heart and not just your actions, then you will never understand Jonah chapter three. You'll never get it. This is an incredible chapter. I'm gonna preach one sermon from it. I could preach five or six from it. Because there is a sermon here on the nature of repentance. There is a sermon on revival. There is a sermon on God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. There is a sermon on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is a sermon on the significance of preaching ministry. There's a sermon on missions. And there's a sermon on God's love for the nations. Maybe there's more than five or six. There's a bunch of potential sermons in Jonah 3. But there's really one point. And we have to see Jonah 3 in its context with the rest of the book, what's happened in the two chapters before and after. And we don't want to miss what God is really trying to do here. And the real point is this, is that God in his mercy is pursuing your heart by showing you his heart. That's it. That's Jonah 3. God is pursuing your heart. He's coming after your heart. And how does he do it? By showing you his heart. What that means is that God knows, listen, not your perceptions of him, not your misunderstandings of him, but if you really saw his heart, you would be drawn to him. If you saw the tenderness in his eyes, if you saw the amount of forgiveness and grace and mercy he has, if you knew that if you would ask him to forgive you, he, he would remember your sins no more. If you would know his heart, you would be drawn to him. And so God is pursuing Jonah and God is pursuing us and God's desire is that we might know his heart, that the more that we will know him and see him and encounter him, the more we'll be drawn to him and his heart is all over this text. It's so good. So if you're there in Jonah 3, say amen. Listen to these words. I'm gonna read the chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a phrase that means significant in the eyes of God. It was three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. Imagine this. And he removed his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation 
and he published it throughout Nineveh. Here it is. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows, look at verse nine, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Everyone in this chapter is just receiving the overflow of the mercy of God, everyone. Everyone in this chapter is getting mercy. The heart of God, the kind, compassionate, tender heart of God and his mercy is just being seen over and over. And the reason is, is because God's trying to capture hearts by revealing his. And so let me, let me show you a few ways in which God reveals his heart. The first one is this, write this down. We see God's heart, this is so good, in God's second chances. We see God's heart in God's second chances. It's right there in, in verse one. It's something we might look over. We're so familiar with it because we know the story and we know what happens. But it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. If you mark in your Bible, circle second right there. Circle it and underline it and highlight it, whatever you gotta do. It is an amazing thing. The first time was in chapter one, verse two. Exact same words, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And said, arise and go to Nineveh and call out against it. That was the first time. Jonah said, no, he ran. All kinds of drama, dysfunction, disaster, pain, suffering on him and everyone around him because he ran from God. And after all of that, all of the mess that Jonah made, and it was Jonah's fault, he made a mess of his life. After all of that, God gives him the exact same word a second time. Now, the reason I don't want you to glance over that is because it tells us something very important about the heart of God. And here it is. God is not just concerned with getting the job done. The job was go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. If all God wanted is to get the job done in Nineveh, then God would have been done with Jonah in chapter one and never gone after him through the storm and through the sailors and through the whale and gone through all of that mess. He would have just gone to the next guy up. And the reason is because God is not a pragmatist. God's not sacrificing everything for efficiency. He's not sacrificing everything just so the job can get done. God is not just going after Nineveh. God is going after Jonah. And really, that, that may be the, the theme of Jonah, honestly. The theme of Jonah is most likely God's relentless pursuit of Jonah. Not just Nineveh. Does God want Nineveh to hear the gospel? Yes. Does he want them to turn and be saved? Yes. But it's not just about that. God is saying to Jonah, he's saying to Israel, he's saying to church, and he's saying to you that God is relentlessly pursuing your heart. And the way we know that is because he gives them this, this second chance. Now, remember last week with Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. Jonah's heart was revealed not by what he said, but what he didn't say. What he didn't say says a lot. And I think it's interesting in, in the beginning of Jonah 3, what God didn't say. There's no lecture. There's no mention of running. There's no recounting all the dumb things Jonah did, which he did a lot of dumb things. There's no recounting of the fact that he made a mess and it's his fault. 
There's no one that says, Joni, you didn't have to go through all that mess. It's your fault because you ran from God. There's not a word about that. There's not even any southern passive-aggressive comments here. There's not even a, now Jonah, I'd love for you to go to Nineveh again, but I mean, if, if you don't want to, you can, you can go get on the boat again. I know you like the boat. You want to go back to Tarshish? That'd be great. I know you were headed there. That, that could be great. You love fish. If you want, hey, if you want to go do that, that's fine. You know what I'm talking about. Any of you have a Southern mother? This is how parenting works with a Southern mother. Just a lot of passive aggressive. This is how it happens. But there, there's none of that, right? There's none of the passive aggressive here. He just simply says, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. And it's the same thing he said the very first time. Because God's not concerned with all of the things in the past. He's concerned with will Jonah obey in the present. That's it. Like, you know, that's what matters, right? What matters is that you do what God tells you to do today. Today. There's two passages I want you to write down. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Write that down. Because you need these. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. And then Psalm 103, 8 through 14. Psalm 103, 8 through 14. Both of these are extremely significant in our understanding of God's heart right here. Because Lamentations 3 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now what that means is this. If a second chance is God giving you mercy a second time because you didn't do what's right the first time. And if Lamentations 3 says we get new mercies every morning, what that means is this. We're not talking about second chances. We're talking about 10,000th chances. We're talking about every single morning you woke up, you wake up to new mercy and new grace, not a recounting of all the things that you've done, but God saying, hey, I love you today. I'm ready today. Let's walk with me today. Why? Because every single morning you wake up, that's another chance to know the mercy of God. That's the heart of our God. Like you don't have to wake up with the guilt and the condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who own Christ Jesus. You wake up in the morning, you remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you tell your soul that there's new mercies and then you start walking in obedience with your eyes ahead. And then Psalm 103, you say, why does God do that to us? Well, it's because in Psalm 103, it says the Lord is merciful and gracious. It's his heart. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Listen to this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. He knows who we are. He remembers us. He knows that we are frail. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we are prone to wonder. He knows that we constantly give into temptation. And so because he knows our frame, he is not coming to us like a master to a slave who has not done his responsibility. He is coming to us with the compassion of a father who says, I love you and I'm ready to start over. Because there is so much mercy in his second chances. And what the devil wants to do is he wants you to think that God is fed up with you. 
He wants you to think that you have gone too far, that there is no gracie, there is no grace, there is no mercy that will extend that far. There could not be another chance for you. But if you're here in this room, there's an opportunity for you to respond this morning. That is evidence of the heart of God saying, listen, I don't know how many chances it's been, and I don't know what happened yesterday, and I don't know how you failed, and I don't know how you messed up. All I know is this, you're here in the room this morning, you're hearing the word of God, I'm a God of second chances, there's new mercy, so let's start right now moving forward. The devil wants you to run, he wants you to hide, he wants you to keep your head down. I love when it tells us in the Psalms that the Lord is the lifter of our heads because sin and shame makes we just do this. And the Lord puts his gracious, merciful hand under your chin and he goes, no, 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 look up, look up at me. Look up at me. Because of Jesus Christ, you're good. Let's move forward. That's the heart of God and we see it in his second chances. But we also see his heart in his commands. His heart and his commands, that's the next one. We see his heart and his second chances. We see his heart and his commands. God repeats the command a second time, exactly. Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. Now, for some reason, we, we tend to always view commands in a negative light. Like we just, a command, someone telling us what to do, immediately feels negative. And I think, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think the main reason is because we're humans and we're proud and we frankly just don't like anybody telling us what to do. And as soon as someone tells us what to do, we want to go, hey, I, I got, I'm good. I got this. Like, I don't need you. I'm good. Like, I know what to do. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like something in us rises up and says, I don't need you. Don't tell me what to do. It's also not only because we're humans, but it's because we're Americans and deep in our DNA, we don't like people telling us what to do. We came over here because we didn't want anybody telling us what to do. Like that's the reason we started. And because we started that way, and that's in our DNA, we just, we just don't want a lot of influence over us. And, and I'm a small government guy, right? I don't need the government telling me everything to do. And there's something in us as America, I got an amen. I, there's something, <laughs> that's a different sermon for a different day, but there is something in us, and I really honestly, I think, and it served us well for a, a couple hundred years, but I think there's something in us as Americans that just says, I don't need you telling me what to do because you don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. So that's in us. But it's also for the fact that we are, we're, we're skeptics. We just don't believe that someone knows better than us. Like, why would I think you know what's good for me? And this starts when we're kids. Like, how do you know vegetables are good for me? I've seen no research on this, mom. Nothing. Like you made, the, you said this because your mom said it, but neither one of you know it's true. Like, why do I need to go to bed early? You're the grumpy one. This, this is it. This is, you don't care if I get sleep, you just want sleep. So why don't you go to bed and let me stay up? This isn't good for me. I don't, why, I don't, why do I need to brush my teeth? My friends don't brush their teeth. Like we just... We, we can't believe somebody knows better than us. And honestly, there is something deep inside of us for all of those reasons that just makes us really kind of cringe a little bit at a command. Let me tell you something. The fact that we are humans and proud, the fact that we are Americans and independent, the fact that we are skeptics and we question everything often begins to influence our relationship with the Lord. And so as soon as the Lord gives a command, we, we go right into that. Hey, I don't need you. Honey, you tell me what to do. Like, I, I, know, I know what to do. And the truth is, the reason we respond that way to commands is because we don't trust the heart of God. 
And sometimes we obey God just because it's right. But the reality is what God is wanting is a kind of obedience that comes from faith, which says, I'm obeying, listen, because I believe you know better than me. And I also believe that every command you give me is for my good. I say this all the time. If I could get students to understand anything, it's that every command of God is for your good and life works better when you follow Jesus. Like that's it right there. It comes from a good heart, it comes from a loving heart, and it comes from a mind that is so much wiser than you. If he even tried to explain why you should do it, you couldn't comprehend it for a half a second. And there's the, there's the problem with Jonah. Jonah could not comprehend how saving Nineveh was good for anybody. This is the most vile and godless and violent people on the planet Earth. And they wanted to destroy everybody. So how does helping them and saving them do anybody any good? Why wouldn't we just be done with them? And because Jonah didn't get the heart of God, he just had a really hard time obeying. I want you to know behind every command of God is a really good, loving, and wise heart. And every command of God, listen to this, every command of God is an invitation for you to enter into life at its best. I mean, God was inviting Jonah. Jonah, I want you to be a part of what I'm about to do. He didn't have to. What an unbelievable God to say, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I think about Victor. We talked about a minute ago from Slovakia. He decided to start a Ukrainian church. It made no sense. He had no support. He, he had no one to help him. And he makes a decision to walk in obedience. And two years later, he starts to see the reason that he did it. And so our responsibility is to, we do what God says when he tells us to do it. Why? Because he's wise and he's better and he loves us and his commands are always good. We see his heart in his commands. There's a third reason. We also see his heart not only in his second chances and his commands, but we see his heart in his warnings. <laughs> we see God's heart in his warnings. And so it tells us in verse 3, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, and here's his sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In the Hebrew, that's five words. It was a five word sermon. You wish. Never going to happen here. Good luck. A five word sermon. I will say he kept saying it for a really long time. So what I'm doing is better than this. All right. So five words. And you just get this kind of picture of Jonah, this reluctant prophet who didn't want to be there and didn't want to see Nineveh saved. And he's got a megaphone and a poster board and he's just going around saying, judgment's going to come. God's going to destroy you. The same thing over and over and over and over. And it does, it does feel that way. I mean, there's no kindness in his message. There's no love of God in his message. There's no kind of understanding of how to repent. And matter of fact, he doesn't even say that Nineveh may be overthrown. He says, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the reason he says that is because Jonah loves to preach wrath. He, he wants them to be destroyed. I'm not making that up. We know that from Jonah 4. He literally is walking around hoping that the very wrath of God would be poured down upon them. Let me tell you something, there's so much mercy in all of this. I mean, look at, verse, look at verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, just, this is just personal application for me, just personal encouragement. One of the things this says is that God can use really bad sermons. That's good news, amen? Amen. I didn't need to, that's right. I, that, was, that, was, that was a little. God can use bad sermons. 
You know why? Because what you have here is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and not the eloquence of the preacher. And so the, the word of God came and they began to hear and there's just so more mercy. Look, look, at, look at the mercy even in the, in the warning. First of all, God sent a preacher to a pagan nation. That's mercy. God gave them 40 days. That's mercy. They didn't need 40 days. He gave them 40 days. And God told them that they're going to be overthrown. God gave them a warning if they did not repent. All of that came from a heart of, of mercy. This is exactly the message that Nineveh needed. They needed to be warned by the wrath to come. Now listen, some preachers love preaching wrath. They just love it. It just, I don't know what it is. Jonah loved preaching wrath. He, and some churches love to feel like they got beat up when they left church, right? That they haven't had really good preaching unless they just feel like they really got worn out in the sermon. And some guys just really enjoy this. And there are others who hate to preach it. They don't ever mention hell. They don't mention sin. They don't mention wrath because they don't want anybody to think that God isn't loving. So let me just, let me just say this right here. Our God is loving and he is patient and is kind and he has proven that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins that if you would confess him as Lord, you would not have to perish. But the reality is sin is serious and hell is real and if you reject Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in a literal burning conscious hell. And you want me to tell you the heart of God? The heart of God is that he brought you into a room this morning where someone's gonna tell you that where someone is gonna say that you should flee from the wrath to come. And the heart of God is that he loves you enough. I mean, this is John three sixteen to send his only son that you may not perish because God longs for you to know him and longs for you to be saved. And Romans 2, 5 says that people are storing up wrath for themselves. Why? Because they continue to reject Jesus and they continue to store up more and more wrath. Why? Because they've continued to reject the warnings that God has given them. And so God in his grace warns us. Do you realize Jonah 1 and 2 is a warning to us? Jonah 1 and 2 says, I want to warn you, don't run from God. It always leads to pain. It always leads to drama. It always leads to chaos. And your running from God is not just affecting you. It's affecting everyone around you. Thank God for a warning like Jonah 1 and 2. And thank God for a warning that says there is judgment awaiting those who do not respond to his gospel. This is why in some form or another we say Hebrews 3.15, or I do at the end of every sermon. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I come to the end of every sermon and what I say is this. Your only responsibility is to do exactly what God's telling you to do today. Right now, do it. And the reason is because you don't know if you're gonna get another opportunity. And so right now, respond to God. Right now, give your life to Christ. Right now, confess that sin. Right now, get on your knees and humble yourself. Right now, you do what God has called you to do. Because today, if you hear his voice, you do not harden your heart. The heart of God is saying to you, I have given you warnings for your good, that you might come to know the fullness of life in me. There's mercy in the warnings. But the final one is this. There's mercy in the second chances. There's mercy in the commands. There's mercy in the warnings. But listen to this. This is so good. You see God's heart in his responsiveness. You see his heart in his responsiveness. Look at verses six through nine. It's really unbelievable what happens. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sat in ashes. 
And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. He's demanding that the animals fast. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. In verse 9, I love this. Who knows, they say. God may turn and relent. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now this right here is the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah. The greatest miracle in Jonah is not that God appointed a fish and that God appointed a, a storm and that Jonah got swallowed and stayed there for three days and got vomited up. That's not the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is that the people of Nineveh heard the message and responded. Because anytime you hear a message and God gives you the grace in your heart to understand it, believe it, and want to move in it, that is a miracle of an almighty God. We always want to see miracles. I'll tell you the miracle that you got saved. The miracles that I got saved. The miracle that in this place right now, God's speaking to some of you. That's a miracle. You want to see a miracle. If something is stirring in your heart this morning, that's God at work in your heart. So this is the, this is the greatest miracle. And it's hard to even comprehend how significant this was. I heard someone say something a while back that kind of made me realize how big of a moment this would have been for a pagan nation like Nineveh. He said, imagine that the operators and owners of every adult website got together for a conference and they were talking about how to further their business. And then all of a sudden in the midst of this, one of them stood up and said, you know what? I think what we're doing is wrong. We're exploiting women. We're destroying a generation of men and women. And I think if we don't stop, God's going to judge us. And at that moment, every single one in the room saying, you know what? You're right. Let's get on our knees. Let's humble ourselves before God. And let's pray that he would save us and forgive us from this. Can you imagine? That's like a miracle to you. That's, that's the miracle of Jonah 3. It's like Kim Jong-un turning on a satellite TV and hearing some American preacher preach the gospel and then issuing a proclamation. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every animal must get down and beg for God to save us. And then he opens the borders and invites every South Korean missionary to come in and preach the gospel. Like that's, that's unbelievable. And it's just as unbelievable to think that it would happen here. That some preacher would say, if you don't turn, God's going to bring his judgment. And from the very top to the very bottom, we hear a message. We, we got we to stop everything we're doing. Money doesn't matter. Nothing matters. What matters is that we get on our knees and beg for God to save us. Listen, that is a miracle. And it's exactly what should we, we should be praying for and how should we be praying, not only in our own lives and our family, but in our nation and the nations. What happened here is nothing short of a miracle of Almighty God. It's also a reminder, listen, it's also a reminder, sometimes all you have to do is share the gospel and you think no one wants to hear it and you think that unlikely person would never respond but what you don't know is what God has been doing in their hearts and if you would just share the gospel, God would save somebody. Who would have thought Nineveh would respond and a bad message, five words, God used it to save somebody. If some of us would just open our mouth and give a good word to somebody, they might get saved. It says in verse 9 that they heard it and they were wondering maybe God would, would turn and relent. And then look at verse 10. This is absolutely incredible. When God saw what they did, what did they do? Well, they prayed, they fasted, they repented, they humbled themselves. When God saw how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. He said, what do we do with that? 
Well, I will tell you, Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man who changes his mind. And so we know that's true. So let me tell you two things I know that are true. First of all, I know we believe in a big sovereign God and we believe in Ephesians 1.11 that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will and I would not have a hope to wake up in the morning if I didn't believe our God was sovereign. If I didn't believe he was watching over my life and orchestrating everything in my life for my good and for his glory, don't wake up, but it's true. We believe in a sovereign God. We also believe in a God who says, if you will turn from your sins and repent, he will remove his wrath upon you and save you. And I don't know the mystery there. I don't have to know the mystery there. I can believe both things at the exact same time. I can believe that the sovereign God of the universe saw what Nineveh did and he relented of the disaster and he did not do it. I can say without question that if you will trust in Jesus, if you will walk with him, if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Do you realize the responsiveness of our God? James 4, 8, if you come near God, he comes near to you. Because in his heart, he is a responsive God. And one of the big lessons from Jonah is Jonah's disobedience in Jonah 1 had serious consequences, didn't it? All kinds of pain and suffering. And his obedience in Jonah 3 also had consequences. A nation got saved. You realize your responsiveness to the word of God determines the direction of your life. Your responsiveness to the word of God this morning and every day after is determining the direction of your life. So what God is saying is I'm giving you these opportunities to trust me and to, and to follow me. And when we humble ourselves and we turn to him, God graciously responds. And when we humble ourselves and ask for his forgiveness, he gives it. And, and when we seek his blessing, he gives it. When we seek his presence, he gives it because he's a responsive God. And you see his heart and his responsiveness. And this right here is really how life with Jesus works. God pursues us. He pursues us with second chances. He pursues us with commands. He pursues us with warnings. He, he pursues us with his responsiveness and the promises. And every time he's just inviting us into life with him. It's, it's an invitation to experience the fullness of everything God has for us. And every time he gives us one of these words, it's a revelation of his heart. And what he's saying is, if you would just trust me, if you would just believe me, if you would know that what I have is better for you and we would walk in it, then we would begin to experience the relationship he wants from us. Listen to this. God is not just simply seeking people who will do what is right. He is seeking people who are willing to give him their heart. Who would say, Lord, I, I'm surrendering to you. Whatever it is you want for me, I want. And I'm not content with just coming and doing the right things. Lord, here's my heart. Take it. Because I believe you're a good God and you're pursuing me and you're following after me and you're inviting me into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And listen, when we get to that place where we see God's heart, then it begins to change our heart. We begin to be drawn into intimacy with a God that we can trust and whom we love and whom we know knows what's best. I pray that it would happen for every one of us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.